0: Um, well, our passage this morning is, has some of the most famous words that Jesus said. Um, the focus is on how to be saved. And Jesus explains how anyone can have their ultimate destiny with God. So it's a really important message. People often say they want to know where their life is going to go, um, uh, what they're going to do with their life. They want to know the trajectory of their life. And this passage shows the destiny and the pathway. This should be a great hope for those who are considering the Christian faith. Um, it's in particularly important for spiritual seekers in an age of religious hyperdiversity. We're not just in a pluralistic age. Pluralism is where there's many beliefs um, held to be equally true in a culture. Um, This age has so many religions and so many belief systems that it seems impossible to choose which one is right. So Jesus' words here stand starkly against the hyper-diverse culture that we live in. And I've got two points I want to make uh, this morning. One is that salvation only comes through Jesus. And secondly, that God gives us enormous power to spread this message of salvation. So let's first look at so that salvation only coming through Jesus. The passage, just to remind you, is um, the context is the Last Supper. And, uh, uh, you know, there's just been a, a couple of um, shocking bombshells dropped that Jesus is going to leave uh, the, the disciples and that Judas is going to betray Jesus and that Peter's going to deny Jesus. And so they're all freaking out. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't let your hearts be troubled. God has got your back. He is going to um, look after you and he's got a, ultimately he's got a place reserved for you um, in his house in heaven uh, where there are many rooms. And he says, you know, at the end of, end of the passage we had last week, he says, you know where I, the way to, to where I'm going. You know, the, you know the way to the place where I'm going. That's where we ended last week. And so our passage this this week begins with Thomas hearing Jesus and being completely perplexed. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So Jesus has said they do know the way and Thomas has said they don't know the way. In fact, they're both correct. It was true that they knew where he was going and it's also true that they didn't know that they knew where he was going. See, the disciples knew a lot of things. Jesus had taught them heaps about God the Father, about God the Son. But they didn't necessarily fully grasp everything that they were hearing. They'd heard heard things, but they didn't fully let it sink in or realise what it meant. So, for example, they didn't quite grasp that Jesus could even go to be with God the Father in Heaven to do this in their kind of thinking was completely impossible. No human being could be in the presence of God, and they knew Jesus was a human being because they knew his mum and dad, they knew his brothers, they knew his sisters they knew Jesus was a human being, but they didn 't actually quite realize just how much he was divine they probably they wouldn 't properly grasp this until after his resurrection and ascension. So Thomas says, how can we know the way? And this is the question that every spiritual seeker asks. Every person who's going to the spiritual spirituality section in readings and browsing through all the different books on all the different religions and on New Age. Every person who sits on a mountaintop and ...looks in awe at the creation and says, how did this all get here? It's the question of the person who is struggling through COVID, suffering, and is crying out. Is there anybody out there? If there is, how can I find you? To know the way, you have to know the destination. So Thomas's question is reasonable... This wasn't the Wizard of Oz. There's no yellow brick road leading to the Emerald City. To say, I am going to the Father, it's not giving a location. You can't look up God the Father on Google Maps and get the shortest route for your car to drive there. The disciples understood that God lived in heaven, but where's heaven? They didn't know. Paul says, God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. This is how they understood where God was. They can't fly a spaceship there. So Jesus answers Thomas in these very famous and profound words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They were powerful words. And they were startling then, and they're controversial now. They were startling then because he was effectively saying, it's not enough to be a Jew. You need to go through me to get to God. Devoting yourself to the Greek and Roman gods also won't lead you to the Father. You need to go through me. Jesus is the way. And this truth became so important for the early Christians that they became known as their religion became known as the way. If you read the book of Acts four or five times, uh, they talk about being called the way. Paul introduces himself to the governor as um, part of the way. What does it mean for Jesus to be the way to God? It means if you put your faith in him, you are putting your faith in God. It means if you devote your life to following Jesus, you will find God. And you won't just find God at the end of the path. You'll actually find God at the path. You'll find God straight away. Jesus is the way to God precisely because he's also the truth in the life. He is the gospel truth, not a truth, but the truth. He is the saving truth. If you want salvation, believe in him. He is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation of God. He narrates God. He says and does what God tells him to do. He is God's self-disclosure. The word made flesh. He's the life. He's the source of life. The life to all believers. Physical existence depends on him. The only life worth having is the life that Jesus brings. um, For he is life itself. He is the resurrection and the life. Because he is the truth in the life, Jesus can be the way for others to come to God. The way for the disciples to get to the many rooms in the father's house. So Jesus has clearly answered Thomas's question, although not in the way Thomas expected. Jesus is saying that what he does for sinners is unique and sufficient. It's all we need. Now to believe what he was saying took a lot of guts because if you think about the context, remind yourself of the context, He said that he is the way, and yet soon he'd be nailed helpless on a cross. So they would have been thinking, what kind of way is this? He said that he's the truth, and yet, you know, right in that moment, lots of people were spreading lies about him, and he would get an unfair trial as a result. He said that he is the life, and yet very soon he's about to be dead and in a tomb. His body would be cold. And yet the beautiful thing is he who is the way does not lead us off the right path. He who is the truth does not deceive us with lies. And he who is the life does not abandon us to death. Now, one of the most common objections to being a Christian is that people say they can't follow the Christian faith because they say it's too exclusive and there can't be just one true religion. In fact, within that, that idea, there are lots of sort of sub-ideas. I've got them on here on the screen for you. Within that idea of there can't be just one true religion, people say all major religions are equally valid and um, basically teach the same thing. And they say that each religion sees part of the spiritual truth, but none can see the whole truth. And they say that religious belief is too culturally and historically conditioned to be truth. In other words, just a product of the times. It's a product of the, the historical and cultural top location. And they say it is arrogant to insist your religion is right and to convert others to it. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of these questions this morning. But let me just summarise the problem with this objection to Christianity and here it is that these are all also exclusive truth claims. It's basically impossible to make an argument about religious belief without also being exclusive in your objection. So it's invalid... It's invalid to write Christianity off for being narrow unless you're willing to admit your criticism is also narrow. Don't be put off by this kind of argument. Something about God has to be true. God exists or he doesn't exist. Jesus is the way to the way to God or he isn't the way to God. And either claim is exclusive. It's just which exclusive claim are you going to believe? Jesus says that He is the way. The Bible says that Jesus is the way. The early church believed that Jesus was the way. Christians for 2,000 years have believed that Jesus is the way. And I believe that Jesus is the way. Jesus continues with Thomas and shows that not only is he the way, but he's the destination as well because he's, starts getting into this interesting discussion about like how to know him, to know Jesus, is to know God, is to know the Father. When we look in the Gospels and see Jesus and see him interacting with people, we get a picture of what God is like. Jesus showed love to the people on the margins. And God, we know, loves people on the margins as a result. Jesus offered forgiveness and healing to sinners. So we can know from that that God forgives sinners and restores them to him. We see Jesus not being um, legalistic about the Ten Commandments, but he had the right priorities, an ethic of love. And this is how God is too. Sometimes we can have funny ideas about God, um, funny ideas about Jesus as well. My friend's three-year-old son said to her the other day, you need to be nice, like Jesus said, or we'll put you in jail. You know, sometimes we have these weird views about God. and It's okay when you're three years old to have kind of, sometimes, you know, you get it a bit wrong. But all we have to do is look to the Gospels and we can see exactly what God is like by looking at Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my father. You do know him and have seen him. And this is perhaps the most remarkable thing that Jesus has said up until this point. Because for the Jews, one of their articles of faith is that God is invisible. They believe that no one had ever seen God. And it remains that God can not be seen in the literal sense, that is with our eyeballs, but in another sense, you can, because to know Jesus is to see the Father. Philip hears what Jesus is saying, and he, and he completely misses the point. He gets excited about seeing the Father and says, Wow, show us the Father. We want to see the Father. This is going to be really good. And he, and he thinks that if they get to have this privilege, that all of their problems are going to go away. But Jesus takes Philip's misunderstanding and gently rebukes him, saying, After all this time, haven't you realised how intertwined I am with the Father? To see me is to see the Father. Don't just believe me, but believe what I say. It's not just that I am true, but what I am saying is also the truth. All of this goes to affirm that becoming a Christian is not just about believing in God... More specifically, a Christian believes in Jesus. When I used to help teenagers all the time prepare their testimonies um, to say in church, um, maybe it was their baptism or something, I often found that the first draft of their testimony would not mention Jesus. Uh, They talk about not believing in God and then praying to God and then God speaking to me, then believing in God. And they get to the end of their first draft, not mention Jesus. And I'd say, tell me about Jesus. What role does Jesus have in your story? If you're exploring faith now <clears throat> and you're trying to work out whether or not to believe in God, don't worry about just God. God is too difficult a concept. Look to Jesus. If you get to know Jesus, then you will get to know God. God because Jesus is the way to God, and he is God. God wanted so badly for people to be saved from their sin and receive eternal life that he sent his son Jesus so that we could have a much better understanding, a more clearer, more relatable understanding of what God is like. So I invite you this morning to believe in Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. It's that easy. You can do it. Jesus is the way. There's a second thing I want to say about this passage. And and that is just briefly that it gives us, that God shows us that he gives us enormous power to spread this message. The whole passage is about salvation. It's about how you get to be with God, um, the Father in heaven. And so we have learned that you do that by By following Jesus, who is the only way to the Father. Then in verse 12, Jesus says that if you jump on board the Jesus train, you will do the works I have been doing and do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is saying to the disciples that they will participate in greater ministry than he did. And this is a pretty big call. I mean, soon he would ascend to to sit at the right hand of the Father and his saving work would be complete, and they will carry on and do greater works than he did. Now, many modern scholars try and play down um, (laughs) what Jesus says here, and they try and, you know, say things like, of course, he didn't really mean greater things uh, or more remarkable miracles than him. Jesus walked on water, you know, you can't do more than that. You can't do that. Or he calmed the storm. Well, he died and rose from the dead, and you can't do that. And and part of me wants to go, okay, I get I get what you're saying here more than scholars. But but part of me disagrees. And I, I noticed when I looked at the early church fathers, who I find very interesting to read about the Bible. Are, we're talking people who wrote 1,500 years ago, or more sometimes. They They point out something different. They point out, well, actually the church, Christians have been able to do more amazing ministry than Jesus. More people converted on Pentecost on that one day than did in Jesus' whole ministry. This alone is a fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about. Or you could think of some other interesting examples. There was a woman who was bleeding her whole life and she touched Jesus' garment and was healed. And yet in Acts 5, which is the passage we read last Wednesday in our Wednesday um, um, midday service, Peter the Apostle, he just walks past the sick people and it says his shadow fell on them and they were healed. That seems like a greater work than just touching the garment, the shadow. Well, what about the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And um, he's not convinced when Jesus says, you've got to sell, your money, give, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. But when Peter and the apostles preached, it says in Acts chapter 4 that whole groups of people sold their possessions and laid the money at the apostles' feet. This sounds like the apostles are doing incredible ministry. In his lifetime, Jesus' ministry was confined to a small geographical area. But think about the church and how far they've brought that ministry ever since. And as we get involved in mission and ministry to this day... Uh, we are participating uh, in Jesus in the fulfillment of Jesus' statement here in, in John 14. He has made a way for us. He's given us enormous power to spread the message of salvation. And this includes the power of prayer. Look at verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus is not saying you can use his uh, name as a magic spell. Um, like in Harry Potter, and then he'll give you whatever you want. Rather, it means that prayer should be aligned in alignment with all that the name of Jesus stands for. Um, And then that prayer will flow from our faith in him. Prayer that gives expression to our relationship with him. Prayer that seeks to glorify him. So if you pray for people to be saved and pray for ministry to grow, And for churches to be planted, God will hear our prayers and you will see answers to your prayers that will blow your mind. He says in verse 14, You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The point is that we do have enormous power handed to us to pray in the name of Jesus and call on his power and to do greater works than he did while on earth. Jesus has made salvation possible and freely available to all who call on his name. Let's pray for people to be saved and pray for enormous power in our ministry of spreading the word of salvation. I'll pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for these words of Jesus that give us so much encouragement. And we pray that um, we would trust in him, that we will follow him as the way and that we'll draw on that power that you have given us to do greater works than even he did. Amen.